this uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host, Brandon Jomo, host Nick, not Dan. Dan is jet-setting across the country for work, so we're going to hold it down for him, Nick, and we've got a Matt Law special today. That is right, Hi guys. Brandon, the traveling man. But yeah, Matt, <laughs> what's up? It's been It's been a minute. Yeah, it feels like a little while, actually. Sometimes we have periods where we talk a lot, and it feels like we've had a little, a little London is Blue break between us, but uh, we're back. You've gotten to go on holiday. Uh, Chelsea have continued to play about two and a half matches before an international break, which has been extremely start-stoppy this season, which has been frustrating. But since we have last talked, a lot has happened. So it's going to be fun just to kind of catch up, Matt, with all things, not only Chelsea, but you know Chelsea-related and just the Premier yep. League in general because um, this season is in full swing. Chelsea at the top of the table and um, a lot of exciting different things to, to kind of touch on. Um, but Nick, I guess kicking it off, uh, with just kind of Chelsea and where we're at with Tuchel. Yeah, man. I mean, you're, you you get to talk to, to Tuchel every week. I mean, clearly Chelsea are not a, a healthy squad right now. There's some key injuries, but I mean, you know, we were in a favorable part of the schedule and we are still atop the table. Um, so what is your, What's your expectation? What are your thoughts so far on what you've seen? And, and how do you think it uh, continues in the month of December? Look, I thought it was interesting. I, I've, I've, um, I've obviously been in the last few games, coming back from holiday. And after the Burnley game, I thought he might be frustrated. I thought he might be angry just because, you know, loads of missed chances, the nature of the way it went. Yeah, I mean, most people was, would be yeah. frustrated and angry. But he wasn't. He was the complete opposite. And I don't think it was for show. I think it was fairly... I didn't get the impression it's for sure. I think it was genuine. He was genuinely very pleased with the way the team played, which I actually agree with him. I thought the team did play very well. They were so dominant and they created so many chances. Um, And so I don't think he was overly stressed out by them throwing those two points away. Um, I think he was just happy with the performance, happy with some of the levels, happy with the fact that he had rotated the team and the squad a little bit and no one had really let him down or let let them down. And they've come through, you would imagine now with the international break, you would imagine once we restart again on November 20th against Leicester, they've come through what will have probably been a tricky period for them injury-wise. Pulisic has taken a lot longer than they thought, but he's now, touch wood, looks back. Although every time we think he looks back, there's normally a setback. But barring any setback, he looks back. Obviously, Lukaku, I'm pretty sure, will be back straight after the international break. Werner, I'm not not as sure on, but I don't think he's far away. Um, and Kovacic has got to be coming back. So, you know, they've been through a difficult patch of injuries. They're still top of the league, and they're probably going to come back from this international break in terms of the squad available in a much healthier state, in obviously hoping no one gets injured on, on mm-hmm. international duty. So... He seemed pleased to me. He seemed happy. He said he's going to relax this international break, take his kids to school, read some books, spend some time. I don't think he's going to be, you know, I think his international break in comparison to Antonio Conte's, who's going to be 24-7 at that Tottenham training ground, is going to be very different. I think he's I think he's pleased. I think he's pleased. I mean, obviously, he'd have been, as in his words, super pleased had hmm. they have just managed to get that last victory before. But uh 
But yeah, and the result went for him with Liverpool too. So there's still a little cushion. You know, it's not quite got as tight as maybe it looks as though it's going to. Yeah, I guess that's my question for you is, what's the bigger surprise? Chelsea at the top of the table, barring all the injuries that we've had, or the fact that the other teams are dropping points that you would never expect them to drop? Liverpool versus Brentford stands out in my mind. Was it Crystal Palace City? Yeah, yeah. Um, And Man City, Southampton as well, wasn't there? Was Mm -hmm. that draw? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the bigger surprise for me. I'm actually not surprised that Chelsea is still top of the table because I, even without Lukaku, Werner, and without other people, this run of fixtures, I I thought, I actually thought they'd probably take maximum points, to be honest with you. Um, So I'm not surprised at all that Tottenham, that. Tottenham, sorry, I've been writing so much about Tottenham lately, that Chelsea are top of the table. Um, but what I am surprised about is the slip-ups. You know, people still talk about how amazing Man City are and how amazing Liverpool are. Certainly with Man City, they've had some really dodgy results this season. Like you say, Crystal Palace, Southampton. And then with Liverpool, the Brentford game, and then they lose at West Ham. I actually haven't been convinced by it. I found Chelsea far more convincing than those two. I've been surprised at the wider view around that, oh, Man City are the team to beat or Liverpool are the team to beat. Because I think Chelsea have been more convincing than those two, albeit with a lot of room for improvement still because, you know, they have missed chances and they they haven't always played well. But I feel that they've been far more reliable for results than, than Man City and Liverpool so far. Is it is it just that? Is it the fact that... You know, we, we always joke about boring, boring Chelsea, right? I mean, that's that's kind of the the mantra from from back in the Mourinho days. Is it the fact that Chelsea really haven't deviated much from from course, and that maybe you know the rest of the the wider punditry in in England is looking at Liverpool's front three or or City's you know formation and going, wow, I mean, that's the team and. Chelsea's playing the same way and, and nothing's really changed. I think there's an element with it with Liverpool because, because let's face it, they had a really disappointing season last season. And I think because they are looking, showing signs of getting back towards the other Liverpool that, that won the title, I think there's been a lot of coverage around that. And maybe people have gone a little bit over the top because I still don't think they're at that level that they were. And they have still, I know they went on a long unbeaten run but there were still little slip-ups within that unbeaten run in terms of draws Klopp said it himself that they'd actually probably drawn too many games within that unbeaten run um and and that result at the weekend and there's still little things in their game you know little flaws that Van Dijk's come back and he's he's been great in some respects but they still don't look totally right at the back so but I do think because of the Liverpool sort of improvement from last season that's maybe contributed to maybe an over-focus on Liverpool Man City and Man City. I mean, you can't begrudge coverage on Man City because they have been fantastic. Yeah. And I still personally think any team that finishes above Man City will probably win the league. I can't see Man City finishing third. So there's that. But they have chucked in some really dodgy results already. And that, I feel, has been a little bit overlooked within the context of how reliable Chelsea have been and it was a it was a genuine shock to see Chelsea just slip up that little bit against Burnley because they have been so reliable even when not performing to their best look it's uh I think where I to kind of take excitement from is the fact that to your point 
you know, those teams have essentially been at 100% health. Chelsea have not. So to your point, we we have room to go. But seeing our middle of the team perform so well uh, has really bolstered this squad with, you know, players like Ruben Loftus-Cheek coming in looking positive, Callum Hudson-Odoi, uh, resettling into Reese James and Ben Chilwa as the uh, unquestionable wingbacks and just how they played. Um, the top I think scorers. Well, that's and that's it, right? It's like uh, the number of different players who have scored this season is just wild after buying, you know, a hundred million pound striker, which no no concerns with him. Uh, he'll he'll yeah. come good. Uh, but speaking of like the depth and everyone, you just wrote a piece about Saul and his kind of recommitment to Chelsea. I, I don't think anyone was questioning it. And I think based on the way he came here in August, I would be surprised if he went back at the midpoint unless Chelsea were like, absolutely not. Um, but essentially he's saying like, no, 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 I'm here to fight. I'm here to compete. And he has starting, he has started to get a, a few more minutes. Obviously it seems like Ruben's ahead of him, even maybe Barkley starting to edge him, but he's still finding ways to get involved, which to me kind of says Tuchel still sees something. Yeah. Look, there's, there's two points to make in terms of January with, with Saul. One and the most important point is I've, I've spoken to his people this week. So, and they absolutely assure me that there's no thought process on his side of of wanting to cut it short. And I certainly haven't had anyone at, at Chelsea tell me that they want to cut it short. But secondly, and this is less important because of the first point, but even if someone did decide they want to cut it short from either Saul's point of view or Chelsea's point of view, I don't think Atletico Madrid are taking him back because they signed Griezmann with the money they saved on his wages they can't afford to take Saul back at the moment. They haven't got the space in the, the wage budget because they'd obviously have to take his wages back. So that's a no-go at the moment for so many reasons and so much would have to change. And he can't play for another club. He's played for two clubs, so he can't go on loan elsewhere. So from that point of view, everybody I think knows they need to try and make it work as best they can. I still don't think there's any sense of panic from Chelsea. I think there's an acceptance that he was thrown in too soon, and that that in itself has set him back a little bit. It knocked his confidence as it would. It knocked other people's confidence in him a little bit. Um, maybe if he'd have been given a couple of weeks to acclimatise first, then, then he'd have produced a better performance that just gave everybody a bit more confidence moving forward. So that, that has been a setback, and it's been one of Tuchel's few mistakes, and he's admitted to it. Tuchel's barely put a foot wrong at Chelsea, but that was a bad decision, which he he admits, and it's it's put them on a back foot from a starting point. But you've got to remember as well, Chelsea have got so many games coming up. They've got the Carabao Cup still. The FA Cup will start. You've got the Club World Cup. You're going to lose players to injury. You're going to lose, maybe not outfield players, but you know the African Nations Cup's coming up as well. They've got so many games. They're in every single competition. And if we've learned anything with Tuchel, that has been a big sort of surprise stroke plus of how he has managed this Chelsea squad is that people who seemingly look to be in the cold get chances. Everybody gets chances, whether they have to wait a while or not wait a while and how far they seem in the cold, you know, look back at where Kepa was, look back at where Ross Barkley was. These are guys who you were looking at thinking they can't ever play for Chelsea again and they get chances. Tuchel gives opportunities. So that is a massive plus for Sal. And he is friends with Kepa. You know, he's tight with Kepa. So Kepa can be telling him, you know, Kepa's obviously very positive about Tuchel because he's revived it, even though he's not number one, he's revived his career to some respect. 
Alonso yeah. is very positive about Tuchel. He's brought him in from the cold. These are guys who are talking to Sal saying, you know, don't you don't need to panic. I'm told he's settled into London life well. His girlfriend's over here with him. There's no p- problem from that perspective. So, you know, I don't know whether the loan will work because, you know, I, you know, we're not trying to read the tea leaves here. But certainly there's no panic from either side yet. And I do think that this international break is a significant international break for him. He's been at Chelsea now a little while. Um, as you said, he started to get minutes. He played in that Southampton Carabao Cup game. And I think this international break is seen as a key time for him now. Tuchel can work with him quite intensively. He's one of very few senior players to be hanging around at Cobham this this sort of two weeks. And it means that some real one-to-one work can get done with him. And um, hopefully it will prove to be a very, very valuable period of time for him. Last time he was around for an international break, Nick, he uh, immediately started the first game out. So we'll see if Tuchel repeats that. Yeah, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll see. I, I, I guess, Matt. I mean, the, the million dollar question that everyone has is is talking about contracts and our yeah. basically our whole backline. Um, <laughs> you look at it; it's Christensen, it's Rudiger, it's Aspilicueta, and you know, to lesser extent, Silva. But you know, we know those kind of rolling yeah. one year deals are are available to to players of of his experience. Let's put it instead of age. Um, what are your what what are you hearing so far on Christensen? Because I think the last time we talked, this was the most certain yeah, of the deals just, to get done. But this has surprised me. And in, in, in fairness, this story broke while I was on holiday in Tenerife that there'd been a problem. Um and it caught me by surprise that did. I mean, I was I was sitting on a sun lounge scrolling through my phone when I should have been doing something better than reading a book or something. And I saw <laughs> the story and it, it did catch me by surprise because I can assure you. From Chelsea's perspective, the Christensen deal was done. It was done. Um, everybody had agreed. From the Chelsea perspective, everybody had shaken hands on it. It was done, and it was a matter of crossing T's and dotting I's. So to read that story that came out while I was on holiday was a surprise to me, and I've obviously since um, made a few calls on it and spoken to a few people about it. And I've spoken to someone about it today, actually. And there has been an issue. Now... I can't say on here what the issue is. I, I know the issue, but kind of from a legal stroke, uh, professional perspective, without giving certain people the right of reply on this, uh, it would be questionable for me to, to sit on here and just repeat what I've been told. But the issue has not been at Chelsea's end, let's put it that way. The issue is is at the player's end that's arisen. Um, I don't think the player himself but there is a big issue and it's caused a problem. And I think we're back to maybe not square one with it, but I think they're back to having to do a lot of work on it again. Um, personally, I think it will get done. I think it will get done. And I, from what I'm told, it should it should get ironed out. Um, the desire of the player is to stay. The desire of the club is to keep him. I think Tuchel will push very hard for this one to get done as well. So I do believe it will get done. Um, but it's no longer, it was done and it's no longer done and it may need a little bit of time and quite a lot of negotiating from, from here on in, because there has been quite a, a, quite a significant problem, shall we say. And I'm really sorry, I can't say more, but I legally, I'd put me and you 
in an awkward position if I did, because I can't give the, the people the right of reply. I think you've given us enough to chew on, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a massive bummer, though, right? I mean, like this uh, of the of the two, we, you know, we're kind of we moved on mentally to Rudiger. And now to understand that this is kind of pulling back with the with the guy with the longer future is, is a little difficult but, to hear. But like, like I say, I still think it will get done. I sure. do still think it will get done. But we're, we're, we're now in a different place to, to what we were. But I look, if you're asking me who's staying between Christensen and Rüdiger, I'd say Christensen still. Um, but yeah, there's no denying there's been an issue and it's been set back and they need to get back around negotiating tables and things. So... Yeah, it's unfortunate because, like I say, the, the club believed it was done. I believed it was done. It, it, it looked a matter of an announcement. But th you know, these things happen. This is why clubs never want these things to become public knowledge anyway, because in contract negotiations and in transfer negotiations, these kind of things happen a lot, to be honest with you. And whereby all parties can walk away from talks and believe it's, it's done until a piece of paper is actually signed. As we know, in football, it's never done. And this is why clubs are so reluctant to ever talk even off the record about things like contracts, because these glitches come up. They're not necessarily that abnormal, and yet they can seem like the end of the world, and it all feels very negative. So this is a lot of the reason why these things often get kept in-house. And, and probably if we hadn't have known originally that Christensen was virtually done, you know, we, this would just be part of the process and we would still find out in two or three months' time that he signed a contract and everyone would be happy. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Um, okay, uh, Rudiger. This is my personal opinion. I, I think Rudiger will go. Um, I haven't got that information given. I haven't been told Rudiger's going. I haven't been told he's not signing a contract. But there's there's just no progress. There's just nothing, and he wants. He's made it very clear. I think there've been quite a few little press reports dripped out here and there that seem to be from his end and seem to be from Germany about figures and clubs and my this is more my sense this is my sense from working around these contracts and transfers and i could be wrong you know there's plenty of time for me to be proved wrong there's plenty of time for the situation to be changed but if you're asking me today if i think rudiger will stay or go i think he'll probably go at the end of the season because it it feels like they're, they're too far apart this, this has not been a good update matt <laughs> <laughs> Like, I don't even Probably, want to ask about Aspie. Is that what you're saying? Right, no, <laughs> let, let, let me ask you guys a question then. What would what would you prefer for me? To, would you prefer for me to say? No, uh, no, 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 no. Listen, listen, listen to my question. All right. Here's the question. Would you be happier if I said to you, I think Rüdiger will stay because I think Chelsea are going to offer him £300,000 a week? Or would you be happier that I say, as it is, Chelsea will go so high, but they won't go past that point. And therefore, at the moment, I think he will probably go. Uh, I, I I always rather face the music. Like there there is a there's a thing in life, right? You can either take the pain now or take it later. Always give it to me now, because <laughs> then I don't have to wait for it. Um, yeah, look, there's lo there's loads of time. We're in December. These things change. At the moment, it feels like Rüdiger and his camp obviously feel like they're going to get offers. And I think I've said this before on the show. The key time is going to be January when these foreign clubs, he's not going to leave in January. There's no way in a million years he's leaving in January. But right. the key time is going to come in January when these foreign clubs can talk to him. And the offers that he and his people 
probably more his people than him because he looks like he's concentrating on his footballs for me in all fairness. Um, the key time is whether these offers actually arrive in January. Because yeah. that, if they don't arrive, then the situation flip-flops again. Because they obviously think at the moment that they can get a deal out elsewhere that at the moment Chelsea are just not prepared to go anywhere near. If in January there's a reality check for them, then the swing balls, the ball can swing back into the court of Chelsea. So I, I want to make it clear, I'm only talking as of, as of today, but that there's not been any positivity. Let's put it this way. There's, in between when we've talked and in between when I think I first reported that, that, that there was no real progress on talks after he'd sort of turned down, he hadn't really turned down one offer, but they weren't prepared to go as high as he wanted to go. There's not been any movement towards each other since then. It feels very much like January is going to be a key time, like I say, for if those offers arrive. But my my instinct at the moment is it, it feels like one of those ones where he's going to end up going. I mean, it, it's it's interesting. You know, uh, everyone has to do what's best for them. It just seems like right now Chelsea and Rudiger are what's best for each other. But, you know, like I said, if, if he thinks he's going to get offers... Have, you would have... Yeah, and but you would have said the same at this time of the year when William went at the end of the season. You would have said, at this time in December, best thing is for William to stay at Chelsea and for Chelsea to give William whatever he wants because he was playing fantastically. Um, but in actual fact, the best thing for William would have been to stay at Chelsea, and the best thing mm. for Chelsea to do actually was not to bend and give in to William's demands. Yeah, but it's not always as obvious as it looks at the time. That's true. Are Aspi and Thiago Silva still <laughs> just rolling one-year deals? No, they, they're both leaving. They Everyone's gonna... leaving Chelsea. <laughs> Everyone's leaving. All right, cool. No, no right. one's ever signing a new contract ever again. They're not, all going. Not right. defensively. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Look, right, well. I, I've said before, Aspi, As, I, those two, I think, can decide their own futures. Right. I think Aspi will stay another year. I think Aspi will sign another one year. He's a, He's back at a level and playing enough that I'd be surprised if he wants to leave. And I think he gets to decide his own future. Thiago, again, Thiago at the moment, again, asking me, there's a lot of time to run to, to know how his fitness is come sort of March, April time. But if you were saying to me now, yeah, give him another deal. And he'd want the, other, he'd want the, the deal as well. So I can see both of those guys staying actually at the moment. I, I really think Aspilicueta will probably stay. Thiago will be more in terms of how's the fitness looking in March, April. Sure. Yep. That seems very pragmatic. Seems very reasonable. You assume Aspie kind of, I think you'd said it earlier in the season, like if he wants a new deal, he's got a new short-term deal. It just kind of depends on what he wants to do. He's, he's earned it. Because we know yeah. that some of those players in Roman's eyes um, have gained or earned that loyalty that a lot of other players don't get, like when Petr Cech went yeah. to Arsenal and it broke our heart yeah. and things like that. But, you know, he, you know... Uh, he looks at these things. He looks at what players have achieved with the club. He looks at longevity. He looks at loyalty. He looks at how they've responded in bad times. And Aspie ticks every single yeah. box. Yeah, your ROI on Aspie is infinite. So well done, sir. But hey, we're going to take a quick break. I know we don't want to ruin the fun, so we'll be back real quick. Uh, we're going to be talking about Antonio Conte to Spurs. Ugh. Newcastle uh, and even looking ahead to January. So thanks to the sponsors for financially supporting the show. We'll be right back. All right, Nick, in, in case you forgot, uh, before the ad break, I said Conte and Spurs in the same sentence. And yeah, they're, they're a thing now. They're, they're official. Uh, yeah, Matt, I guess uh, I remember uh, us, us talking over the summer. I'm old enough to remember us talking over the summer about Antonio Conte to Spurs. 
And um, it was funny. And back there, then. yeah, it was hilarious. <laughs> we were all having a good time. We were making jokes, or at least we were. You were you were being a serious journalist. Um, <laughs> uh, what what the hell happened here? And and why why do you think it happened now instead of back in the summer when you reported it? So back in the summer. I think there were two key aspects. Back in the summer, I think that Antonio was pretty tired, pretty knackered, shall we say. When he comes out of project, you, you guys know as well as I do, he, you know, he puts so much into these projects. And not only what he does with the players and what he does with the titles, but the fighting behind the scenes and everything, you know, the, the guy's a machine. So when he comes out of the projects, he he is ready for a rest. He's ready for a rest. Um I think he was only willing to not take that a bit of a rest then if a really, really big car, really big club came. I mean, it's been described to me as he was at a stage where he felt that he should be given one of the best cars. You know, he'd he'd taken even the Chelsea job. You know, you've got to remember where Chelsea were when he took the job. Every job he's taken actually is quite interesting. Has been with a club that's actually been kind of struggling. You know, Juventus were at a low ebb when he went to Juventus. Inter Milan hadn't won Serie A for God knows how long when he went to Inter Milan. Um, Chelsea were sort of really one of their lowest ebbs, weirdly, even though they'd won the, the title the previous season with, with what had been going on under Mourinho. Um, so he's only ever kind of had these challenges. And I think he wanted he wanted to walk into one of the very top clubs in a sort of top situation. And there just wasn't that, that job out there for him. And... I think he's waited and waited now and, and he's got itchy feet on it. And I think he's probably just accepted that once the Man United call didn't come after that Liverpool game, that, you know, he's the, the job that he probably wanted in the summer and which he was willing to turn Tottenham down for just isn't going to come. He's yeah. going to have to wait, you know, an 18, 18 months, maybe to two years for that job to come. Because if Man United aren't putting the call in after they've just been beaten Five five nil or whatever it was at home to Liverpool, then the call's not coming. They don't, for whatever reason, Man United don't want Antonio Conte. Crazy to me, crazy to him, crazy to everyone else, but that that seems to be the case. He seems to have come, made his peace with that, and he's decided to once again take on one of these challenges. And it's probably it's not a similar challenge to Chelsea because Chelsea still had a squad that had won the title. I think Chelsea were still in a stronger position, and Chelsea is a club, you know, is a winning club. It's a club under Roman Abramovich that wins a trophy every year. You know, Tottenham haven't won a trophy for since 2008, so very different to that. But it's more akin to what he took on at sort of Inter Milan and Juventus, albeit they're clubs that had won titles probably more recently, but that's because of their league they're in. But it's this challenge, and I think he's ended up accepting that that's, that's probably unless he wants to wait an awfully long time, that's probably the best he's going to get. And he'd made it clear that he was very, very, very interested in returning to England. And, you know, he's not going to get the Man City job after Pep. He thought he would get the Manchester United job, and he hasn't. He's not going to get the Chelsea job again, because, let's face it, the, the end and the fallout, I mean... Burn some bridges, Matt. Well, they, went, they went to court, you know, they went to court. they you're not coming back after you've been to court. Liverpool, no, you can't really see him as a Liverpool match. So, you know, if he wants to come back to England, Tottenham or Arsenal are the, the two jobs he's probably coming back to. The other thing that I have had it said to me as well is that in the summer, 
none of the slight re- it looks strange because Tottenham have had a bad start to the season actually having started the season at very front bit starting quite well but none of the rebuild had happened when they offered him the job Harry Kane hadn't come back from training had basically gone on strike Harry Kane was still on strike then they hadn't signed anyone when they first offered him the job literally hadn't signed a player they were promising him things. They were promising him Kane would be kept and they were promising we will go out and sign players. He didn't know whether they would, though. Since then, they have kept Harry Kane and actually they have made, I don't know how closely you guys watch Tottenham, Christian Romero is a good signing. He's a good defender. Um, they have actually, Gil, the, the winger, is clearly a, a talented prospect. They've gone out and done enough for him within that amount of time to make him believe what they were telling him. And I think he needed to see evidence of that as well. Yeah, I think there's also rumors, you know, that uh, I think Daniel Levy was playing a little bit more hardball and, and holding up more control in the summer. Now that it's kind of fallen off, he's like, all right, your, your team, you, you've got yeah. it, whatever, whatever you 100%. need. I mean, all, all the powers with Conte now, isn't it? You know, they, they basically went to him begging him. You know, they went to him begging him. What huh. what do you need? What do you want? What can we do for you? Whether they live up to their promises that they've been begging, who knows? But um, yeah, they weren't begging him quite so much in the summer, and they were really begging him now. What uh, what does this have to do with the uh, fight for the top six? Do you think that it's going to push him in? I do think. I don't look at, from Chelsea's perspective. I think it changes nothing because I I can't see them challenging the top four. So from Chelsea's perspective, I don't think Chelsea need to worry about it at all. I do think it probably turns them in from a team that could have easily, with Nuno, finished between 10th and 8th or even 12th and 8th to probably a team who should finish between 8th and 6th now uh, or even 5th. They could finish 5th. I don't see them breaking the top four, but I can see them finishing top six. And I I think in a month, yeah, I think you need to give Conte probably a month to six weeks to get his fitness regimes going. So I think we should start probably judging them in about a month's time and if they've started to pick up, then I think you can, you'll probably know that Conte's starting to work some of his magic. Well, they're in ninth currently on 16 points. Uh, sixth place is United uh, on 17 points. So, you know, to your point, not not far, far off by any means. Le- um, I mean, Le- Levy, will, Levy will still be telling people they can get in the top four, but I, I just don't see it. Even with Conte there, I don't see that this season. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty competitive. There's a lot of ground to make up. Um, Newcastle and potentially a familiar face uh, returning to the Premier League. Matt, you are a big Emanalo fan. Uh, you know you've you've placed him in a lot of different opportunities. Are you are you bringing this to reality at Newcastle? Is Michael Emanalo coming back? I think he is. I think he is. I mean, this reminds me very much of the Lukaku situation because I tweeted not long ago the no-brainer appointment for Newcastle is Michael Emanalo, and it looks like they're going to appoint him. Um, so yeah, I, that'll I be a nice fee for you. Yeah, yeah I wish I was. I wish I was getting a fee on these. Imagine the money I'd have made on Lukaku to Chelsea <laughs> and Emanalo to Newcastle. Wow, I wouldn't be a no offense, guys, but I don't think I'd be dialing in quite so often. Um, <laughs> classic <laughs> leave it us for the big time jeez but sadly no one's paying me for these so but look michael emanalo is now definite first choice he's been in saudi arabia the ownership have instructed amanda staveley to try and appoint him there's talks to be had there's negotiations to be had but he is now being offered the job so the only way it doesn't happen is if he turns it down or amanda staveley can't quite deliver it but 
he is going to he is going to be offered the job. Yeah. What are your I guess? How do you think this goes? I mean, this is not Emanalo at Chelsea, who has significant resources and a team that is. Well, he does have significant resources. He he does, but he doesn't have the team. Right. So like this is going to be more of a slow burn. Yeah. 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 So I guess my question to you, Matt, is, um, you know, assuming that he is still at the top level, that he's you know ready to rock. Newcastle are very bad. And they're in a tough spot. They haven't won a game yet. I mean, like we're we're not. It's not even hyperbolic to say they're very bad. They haven't won a game yet. I think they're yeah. one of they're the only team in only team in England to not yeah. have won a game. Yeah. So I mean, just taking where they currently are on the table and applying that forward is is this a job that he can do in January to help him stay up? Just given the short amount of time between now and then. There's a short term job and a long term job, isn't there? The short term job is yeah. to just do what you can to keep them up. And that's going to involve a lot of work in January. Um, I'm told if he is appointed, he will have, along with Eddie Howe, the sort of full responsibility. There won't be... At Chelsea, he never had full responsibility the transfer market, not even close. There's a there's a myth about his role at Chelsea. He was involved in it, but, you know, Marina w- was still sort of boss. And, and obviously, going back a bit further, Roman was a lot more involved than he sort of is now in terms of getting involved in transfers. So... Michael was very heavily involved in transfers at Chelsea, but he was never solely responsible. So both the good and the bad, you can't give Michael all the credit and you can't also give him all the criticism for the ones that went wrong at Chelsea. At Newcastle, I think he's going to be more responsible, actually. You know, Eddie Howe will clearly have a strong say, but I think Michael is the man and January is going to be tough. And let's not forget, there are a lot of clubs out there who want Newcastle to be relegated. So if you're going to go and try to buy a player from Tottenham, I don't think they're selling to you because they want you to go down. And that's going to be a situation with a lot of clubs. So buying in the English market for, for Newcastle is going to be very difficult indeed. So they're probably going to have to pull out some gem in January from the foreign market, I'd have thought. Um, that's the short-term job. The long-term job is hugely exciting for him because it's literally go and build a football club. You know, we've got the stadium and we've got the fact they've got a great stadium and we all know about the Newcastle fans. That's really all they've got. They've got a stadium and the fans, which is, don't get me wrong, that's a good base. It's a base that a lot of clubs don't have. But from there, you go and build a football club, go and build the academy, go and build an infrastructure, go and build a a staff, you know, scouting staff and everything else. He's going to get that remit. He's going to be put in charge to build, build a football club. And if I was an owner and I needed a football club built, he would be my first call. So, look, I I think it's a really smart appointment. And I actually think it's a really smart appointment to start with, to team in with Eddie Howe. I'll give you a little bit of history here. I think before Chelsea appointed Rafa Benitez as an interim, I think I've got my timing right here. I think they actually, Michael met with Eddie Howe then. Um, and actually talk to him about oh, like 2013. Would that be 2013? Yeah. Because he took over might... from Robbie Di Matteo post Champions Yeah, League. that's right. Yeah. It'd either be, it would either be that period or it would be after Benitez before Mourinho came back. Mm. In the Benitez period, I know that much. And in fact, I think it's probably after Benitez, the interim, when they were looking at what they were going to do after Benitez, I know for sure he met Eddie Howe. Um, I don't think they were ever planning to offer Eddie Howe the job, but at the time 
Eddie Howe was somebody they were just interested in having a coffee with. What are you about? You look like an interesting guy to follow. Michael does this. Michael, you know, Michael ages ago went and even though he was out of work, went and had a coffee with Graham Potter. Other clubs do this as well. Michael's not the only guy who does this. People do this. They're not offering people jobs, not tapping people up. They just want to establish contacts because football is all about contacts. And I know from that point they that, that Michael took a keen interest in Eddie Howe. And don't forget, Eddie Howe's Bournemouth team beat up Chelsea a couple of times, you know. I think we haven't forgotten Max. Yeah, we, Thank you. I think actually probably in the season after they they it was under Mourinho, wasn't it, when Bournemouth came and really gave them a bloody nose at, at Stamford Bridge. And they've always he's always been impressed with his work. Now obviously things changed for Eddie at the end of his Bournemouth career. But I think they're a smart team up at the moment for Newcastle. I think the, the two personalities, quite similar personalities as well. I think they'll, I think they'll work well together. I'm not saying Eddie Howe is going to sort of achieve anything incredible at Newcastle. I still think probably when Newcastle get to a certain stage, they will look again at a, a, a different profile of manager. But I think for the now, and I think for keeping them up and just building that club a little bit, I think... Eddie next to Michael is is a very very smart partnership. Well, let's let's turn our attentions to January for Chelsea. I mean, uh, the the big news since we last talked is that Trev Chalaba just making the most of his opportunity gets his contract extension. I think to the um, to the absolute joy of, of Chelsea fans everywhere. It's it's been incredibly impressive to see him and his growth so far this season. You know, I've said that I don't think he's really put a foot wrong to this point. And, you know, it's just a massive credit to him and to Tuchel for giving him a chance. How do you think that Trev's um, emergence changes Chelsea's plans for, you know, who you know who they target for a defender or, you know, January or even next summer? Um, well, I think it puts them in a stronger position because I think – were it not for Trevor's emergence, I think that they wouldn't be in a super strong negotiating position on a new defender and reviving the interest in Koundé if that if that comes up again because the contract situations with their defenders and the fact that they went for Koundé in the summer obviously means that they want a defender. Had Trevor not... Uh, emerged or done as well as he's done or not got the contract, then I think they'd be in quite a weak negotiating position because people would know that there's almost desperation is too strong a word, but there's a, mm. there's a definite want to need to bring somebody in, whether it be January or the summer. Now, I still think that they will try to bring another defender in. I don't, I don't know yet on January. I wouldn't be surprised now if they try and push it back to the summer because it doesn't seem to me like they really need to do it in January and January is such a bad market. I can, my, my reading of it at the moment is to expect a quiet January incomings wise. Um, unless, you know, they can do a deal on Koundé because I think Koundé is clearly someone they've tracked for a long time. They've already tried him once. If for some reason in January, they can get him in at the price that they wanted to get him in at the summer that Seville wouldn't sell at then then maybe they just do it because they don't want to risk the price going up. But I think probably more likely the summer. But Trevor, Trevor, this sounds terribly disrespectful on Trevor because this is not why they renewed his contract and this is not why he's emerged. But the the knock-on effect of doing his contract and his emergence 
puts them in a much stronger negotiating position mm. um, when they come try and sign a defender. So it helps them that. Um, but like I say, um, I I don't get any sense at all that that's why the Trevor deal was done, and I wouldn't want people to read that into that because. Trevor's been deserved, rewarded for what Trevor's done and what he deserves. And there's just a, the knock-on effect is just a consequence of, of something that comes. But I think it, it it puts Chelsea in a better position. They'd have been in a really weak position in terms of negotiating deals for defenders without that, I think. And then I guess we got to move on to, to, to Billy, right? Um, Billy Gilmore has not had a great time, it turns out. Uh, Farka's gone uh, as a manager after winning his first match, which was... Uh, a little surprising, uh, considering his his tenure there. What what the hell happens with Billy now? <laughs> I mean, it's there, there's not a ton of room in Chelsea's midfield uh, to come back to. And well, I'll, I'll tell you one thing: if Frank if Frank Lampard gets the Norwich job, then Billy plays every single minute of every single game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you know, when they try to, there's sign no him. bigger. Yeah, there's no bigger fan of Billy Gilmore than Frank Lampard, and. Frank Lampard is going to have talks over the Norwich job. So, you know, this could end well for Billy Gilmore. Let's put it that way. It could end very well for Billy Gilmore. Um, I think actually Billy Gilmore has been a, been a decisive factor in actually Fark getting sacked, to be honest with you, because Fark from, I don't cover Norwich closely, but I have a, a an interest in them because I know a few people at the club. And Fark changed his style of play he like he panicked and he seemed to go more physical and more long ball which i know was unpopular with the the norwich hierarchy and that went against billy billy was brought in because fark had a certain style and that norwich had a certain philosophy and the departure from that has actually contributed to fark's downfall i mean i'm told against leeds the style of football they played was absolutely appalling and, and shocked people at norwich and that fits in with billy I also think that the link with Frank and Norwich comes from Billy because I'm led to believe that when Norwich were doing their due diligence on Billy, Stuart Webber had a conversation with Frank about Billy. Um, what kind of lad yeah. is he? Could he cope? Blah, blah, blah. And obviously would have got a glowing reference. And that's where there's a little relationship already, I think, between Frank and Norwich. Whether Frank jumps back in at Norwich, I don't know, but they're going to talk to him. But it would be, let's put it this way, it'd be very good news for Billy Gilmore if, if Frank were to get the Norwich job. And it, I don't think Chelsea fans would have to worry about Norwich signing Billy because there's no way in a million years they could afford to sign Billy. So the upside would be for everybody. Similarly, Dean Smith is on the list for the Norwich job. I obviously know a lot about Dean Smith's philosophy and what he likes. And I think he would love Billy. So I think Dean Smith would be an appointment that that uh, would be good for Billy. And personally, I think it looks like Norwich want to make an appointment of a person who has a certain sort of philosophy that will end up suiting Billy. So I, I think he will end up coming back into the team under whoever. But it, it surprised me. It hasn't gone well so far. And I thought Fark would be great for him because clearly the whole loan was designed around the fact, again, that Fark and Tuchel had this relationship and that Fark had a similar philosophy to Tuchel, but he seemed to throw that philosophy out of the water because he, he panics about results. Yeah, no, a a absolutely. Um, you know, but whatever they do, they have to essentially contingency plan going down in the championship and trying to come back up. And they've done that with Farka 
So, anyways, uh, with the uh, Club World Cup and the Africa Cup of Nations, are Chelsea worried about losing some key players and potentially having even more fixtures piled up heading into the January transfer window? Weirdly, the Club World Cup could help to alleviate some of the problem of the African Nations Cup. Now, the the dates haven't been announced on the Club World Cup yet, but there is the possibility that the Man City away game in the new year will end up clashing with uh, both the Club World Cup and the African Nations Cup. There is this possibility, which would mean that without the Club World Cup, Mendy was looking at missing the Man City game probably as being part of the African Nations Cup. But if the Club World Cup lands on a certain date that it could do, it could actually mean that Mendy is just not available for the Club World Cup. In which case, the huge thing will have again fallen very nicely for Thomas Ducal and Chelsea. But that's a lot of ifs because they haven't announced the date of the Club World Cup yet, which I find incredible. I cannot believe it. I cannot believe we're in November and Chelsea could be playing in a competition in the Middle East in January. And we don't actually know if they are playing in January, if they are playing in February or what. I mean, I assume the club have some idea, um, but it's in terms of the fans, in terms of planning, it's it's insane. But if the two of them end up falling, so they hit each other, and, and like I say, Mendy ends up missing Club World Cup rather than Man City games, and then Chelsea will sign up for that very, very quickly. So... Yes, it is more games, but weirdly it could help them. But we know, but we don't know, and that's the most stupid thing about it. We just don't know. Ridiculous. Is there a? I guess just a quick follow on that. If you're Chelsea, or if you're any of the clubs involved in the Club World Cup, is there a moment in which you look at the organizers of the Club World Cup and say, if we don't know the dates of this tournament by November 10th, we're not coming. Like we have too much stuff going on. And we can't we can't contingency plan based on a week's notice. You and I would say that, and Thomas Tuchel would say that, and his playing staff would say that. But uh, the sponsors, I think, would have quite a lot to say about that because the Club World Cup is a big deal for the sponsors. You know, it is it is a very big deal for the sponsors. And but this isn't Chelsea's problem. Like this is this is partly the sponsor's problem the organizer's problem no but the i mean chelsea's own sponsors you know three and people like that they they will they will love this coverage of a club world cup um and there's a there's a prestige to it you know don't you know if you win the champions league while it's probably in terms of the coach doesn't see an awful lot of value in winning the club world cup there's definitely a prestige for the club in winning the club world cup and then in attracting more global sponsors and things it's a bit like the Ballon d'Or. I couldn't, to be quite honest with you, I couldn't care less who wins the Ballon d'Or. And Thomas Tuchel's made it clear that he doesn't care less who wins the Ballon d'Or. But Chelsea as a club care who win the Ballon d'Or. Because if you're a club who's had a Ballon d'Or winner, it's a prestige thing. And if you're a club who has won the Club World Cup, we all might laugh at it and not place too much value. Again, it's a prestige thing. There's only certain clubs in the world who can win these tournaments because not everybody's invited into them. So it's a big prestige thing. So no, I mean, the, the, the short answer is I think that they will just have to swallow it. What I do think is um, someone like Ross Barkley, who you might be thinking, oh, will they try and offload Ross Barkley in January? 
you know, they've they've increased his value again. Clubs will probably look at him again, whereas they weren't in in the summer. If you've got a club World Cup, you, to my mind, you keep everyone who everyone who's played any first team minutes is is staying at the club for me. If you've got a club World Cup and an African Nations Cup and everything else, and you're you're in the FA Cup and things like that, you you keep everyone. You don't let anyone go. Well, Barkley hasn't hurt himself either. Again, as we talked about earlier, very surprising. All right, uh, Nick, hit him with the hard one. Been holding on to this one all show. Get him, Matt. We're we're getting into colder temperatures. We're getting into winter, and uh, that means that you know, for a beer fanatic like yourself, the stouts uh-huh. are coming in. The uh, you know the porters are coming in. It's a little heavier. Um, what what is your yeah. you know it could be a stout it could be a winter beer whatever the the case is what's your favorite kind of winter drink to to take down well i think i said before that i'm really trying to find an interesting one for you that i can't i'm afraid i can't get past past a certain irish drink uh, <laughs> goes around the world i mean i do i'm not i'm not one of these people who will sit and drink four or five pints of guinness um, I find it a little bit too heavy for that, but I do like one or two Guinnesses, shall we say, uh, mm-hmm. within an evening and within drinking of the drinks. And that that would probably be my sort of go-to winter warmer beer. But there is one that you won't have heard of. There's a bre- there's a brewer who you won't have heard of, and you guys are coming over to England soon. And you can get this in you can get this in London. It's a pure it's a brewer called Purity, and Purity do a nice English stout and ale and mm. i do i do drink a fair bit of that in the winter it's one funnily enough they and this is this is the reason i discovered them but not the reason i like them they have a sponsorship attachment to villa um and every every year when i go home for christmas my dad will fill the bridge fill, fill the fridge should i say not the bridge we will fill Stamford bridge <laughs> with it one day oh uh, yeah <laughs> it sounds good what a but for, now, for now we're just filling the fridge with it every year when i go home for christmas my dad fills the fridge with purity ale and you can get it in london you, i found it in london and it's really really nice so i would recommend that when you guys come over to england if that's on tap wherever we go for a drink i'm going to buy you all a pint of it so purity but otherwise otherwise a guinness otherwise no more exciting than a guinness deal i feel like we should take him over some founders breakfast out nick oh, <laughs> i know it's so it's so good i was about to oh. say if you when whenever i get over there one day when you start you're letting us fly over there now so maybe one day what what are you guys getting from me stout wise well yeah brandon just mentioned a really good one founders is from michigan, michigan? Yeah, okay. yeah so that's good uh, we have a couple here locally in Kansas City. There's an alchemy uh, breakfast stout that is it's like a coffee stout. Okay. That is like it's not overpowering coffee, but it's a really, really good flavor. That's like the in the winter at the pub when I go and watch Chelsea really early, like that's the one. That's that your cup to. of coffee. It's, that's your coffee yeah. substitute. <laughs> yeah. Or just or just an Irish coffee, either way. Uh, it's fine with me. But yeah. Both are both are great. Founders is really excellent. Though. So Good. so and many options blessed with them. But we're excited to come over and visit you, Matt, and uh, yeah. take in some of the Christmas ales and the different things going on around this time of year. It is a good uh-huh. time to be merry and, and hang out with friends. But anyways, thanks for the time. As always, it, this was a big update. Thanks, Matt. You too. Cheers, guys. Hey, remember, Simon Johnson said this on another pod. Don't blame the messenger on any of these transfer deals, all right? Matt is just uh, spreading the word, keeping us informed, up to date. So no no angry tweets go his way. 
Uh, that's the rules of the game. But anyways, we'll be back. Uh, more content, even though it's international break. Um, I think Chelsea women are playing yesterday. So hopefully you watched it by the time this came out. Um, but there's still content between the youth and the women's team. So make sure to stay involved. But we'll be back. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do? Keep the blue flag flying high.